Temple, get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart. Thrilled to be bringing content back to you, our loyal listeners, for the upcoming 2022 college football season. This is the first installment in the Know Your Enemy preview collection. I'm going to be doing an interview with a source that covers each of the Big 12 schools, getting you guys primed for the upcoming college football season, taking a look at each of the conference members. Now, before I dive into this first interview, a quick call to action for our listeners. Subscribe to our podcast. Podcast if you haven't already. We're available on all the major platforms, which, as you might assume, includes Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. We're looking to be far more active on social media this season. We really want to make a point to engage with our listeners throughout the course of the year. We'll put up polls after games, call for questions to be answered during our weekly segments, bi-week Q&A, and much more. So again, go ahead and follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It's college underscore Kimball. With that being said, it only seems appropriate that we start off the Know Your Enemy preview collection with the defending Big 12 champion. Touchdown Bears! Very pleased to welcome on David Smoke of Sikkim365. You can find him on Twitter at David Smoke, S-M-O-A-K. And Smokey, just to lead things off, I wanted to talk first about program stability with Baylor, just because this is a program, if you look at over the last decade, I don't know if there have been many programs in the country that have gone through as many highs and lows as Baylor had and with the Bryles resurgence in the early 2010s and then the fall off following the scandal, you have the interim year, then you have Matt Rule come in for what amounted to being a cup of coffee, gets to a Big 12 title game and bolts. Now, as we enter year three for Dave Aranda, do, do Baylor fans feel like the, the program is on solid footing and that this is this is actually building towards something that can be sustained, that this isn't just going to be another flash in the pan or a coach that departs for greener pastures. When Bryles won that first Big 12 title, you could tell this was going to be a nice, sustainable amount of success. And in fact, in 15, Seth Russell in that team might have been better than the years before that, you know. And and then, of course, eventually the scandal got um, – just de- derailed everything and, and and blew up that entire program. This one does seem to be sustainable. They have questions, Jeff. There's no question. But I think, yeah, I mean, you, you, you know how good you have to be or how much respect you have to have that in this day and age of uh, college football is like Augusta National. It's an invitational. You don't just walk in the door and go, hey, I want to play 18 at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. It's an invitational. College football is becoming even possibly more of an invitational because of all the smoke about whatever the future holds for super conferences or whatever. But for them to be picked as the preseason favorite, even though they were really good last year, their best season ever in history of the program, and the respect people have for Dave Aranda trumps what is always the sometimes easy thing with Oklahoma for most every year for the last several. Even Kansas State's had their runs, and Oklahoma State's had their runs, and, of course, UT, it's been a while. 
but they love people love logos. Preseason polls love logos, and for them to be the the number one choice entering the season, it it it's amazing respect. And I think people realize that this wasn't a one year fluke. Now, will they match twelve and two? I I don't think so. But it's a it's amount of respect people have for how they did it and who is doing it as well. And it's honestly remarkable that. Dave Aranda was not named the Big 12 Coach of the Year in 2021. That's not to undermine the accomplishments of Mike Gundy and his squad. Obviously, Oklahoma State had a great year itself. But what Dave Aranda did going from two wins to 12 is truly remarkable. And the Bears look to be loaded up yet again and and ready and poised to make a run at a Big 12 championship to defend that conference title crown that they won last year and that barn burner against the aforementioned Oklahoma State Cowboys. And I want to start on the offensive side. The big storyline going into media days and the offseason just in general was the seemingly amicable parting of the ways between the Baylor coaching staff and the starter for the majority of last season quarterback, Gary Bohannon. And I wanted to pause there and ask, was it truly as amenable as it came off as being through social media and whatnot, or was there a little bit more to that departure? Well, I mean, it was a gut-wrenching, heartbreaking probably time for, for Gary because he had done so much to get the opportunity to play. And then, of course, you get the fluke hamstring injury and it's at Kansas State when Shapin came in and took over and and led Baylor uh the rest of the way to win that game and then of course he eventually gets hurt in the uh, championship game against Oklahoma State it was hard now was it friendly yes was Gary probably devastated disappointed hurt yeah but he also realized and you hear this and some coaches say it uh person over player well uh, you can look at that the Bohannon decision in a couple of ways. One, Gary, we can let this go all the way into the end of the semester, all the way into the fall. And then on August 27th, right before we open up our season the next weekend, we make a decision that you're not the starter and you're stuck here. Um, I don't know if stuck's the right way because Gary would have put on his jersey every day and gone to practice every day. This gave him a chance to go somewhere else. And a lot of coaches, and you hear even and doesn't mean that they're not being player friendly, but they just don't know. And Baylor felt like they could pull the trigger. It was not going to be easy. Dave Aranda, I think there's been a couple of different things he's been through that have been really, really difficult for him. And this is one of them. But you got to respect him because he did it to give Gary a chance to go to USF or whoever he would have ended up at. Um, then you hear the person over player. If that's also, you can look at it this way. Somebody sent me this note. Gary Bohannon, I'm not saying he was the heart and soul of that team. The defense was. The running game was. But this guy was the ultimate captain and leader of that team. Everybody loved him. He led all the the workouts. He was in all the film rooms. He was – everybody loved him. But they also know Blake Shapin's very, very talented, and they could see what he did when he took over. So you could also say, well, if that's the case, doesn't – Gary Bohannon deserved the opportunity to come back and finish out his career with the defending champion and then be the starter. Well, it's hard. Decisions have to be made in business every day, Jeff, as you know, in football rosters or whatever. And Baylor made the decision. They felt like we can be good with Gary, and they were. 
But we might be able to be at a different level with a quarterback that can sling it around and give us even more oomph on offense along with what they were able to do last year in the running game. Gary had some games when his passing was fantastic, clutch, good. But at the same time, it, it wasn't easy. to for it Was it friendly? Yes. Because the respect that Dave Aranda and that coaching staff, Sean Bell, the quarterback's coach, and Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator, have for Gary – is beyond anything, you know, I'm not saying nobody else has had that. It is incredibly, I bet you wouldn't even want to watch that meeting because I'm sure it was so hard for Dave Aranda to tell him. And then yet again, Gary might've known because Blake did outperform him in the spring. And yet I'm sure those two probably, I'm not saying they did probably both shed tears of happiness because of what they've done together. And then also a relief for Gary to now know his future, he can move on, and for Baylor to be able to turn the page and move on with Blake Shapin. It's almost refreshing in a way to see that because so often you, you feel like coaches feel compelled to try and, and sell that narrative of there is a quarterback battle. We have to make sure we retain both of these guys through spring and summer into fall camp so we have we feel good about either one, but we have depth. That's the, the bigger yep. and more pressing item. So the fact that Aranda and company were willing to be candid with him, that I think that speaks volumes of, of, of he and, and Sean Bell, uh, you mentioned as well. That, that, that again, really refreshing to see that. Now, you guys have, uh, Baylor's clearly turned the page to Blake Shapin, uh, having a chance to watch him in that game in Manhattan, very polished in the intermediate game. Um, I, I guess, where's the focus been for him this offseason as he looks to make that jump really into what's going to be obviously a full, first time full year starting role? You know, the, the question was the chemistry uh, with a lot of young receivers because they lost Taekwon, they lost like 179 catches. Taekwon Thornton, R.J. Sneeds at Colorado, Thornton's in the NFL, and then, of course, Ebner caught a lot of passes out of the backfield, among others. And the other thing is quarterbacks, they don't have to be your captain, but you really like to have the guy that is kind of like with the C on his chest. And again, Gary was that guy. All indications. And of course, right now, the offseason and media days, everyone's saying the right thing. But this doesn't seem to be a team that's just saying anything. This seems to be a team that would say exactly how they feel when they're asked. And all indications that Blake Shapin has slowly, methodically, and in a very positive way, been able to take control of this team without walking into the room one day and going, hey, I'm Blake Shapin and I'm the starter. I'm your captain. That wouldn't go over well anywhere in any locker room. You have to earn that badge. And from all indications, he's done that. Leading workouts, taking guys out, uh, you know, to try to go do something different, whether it's to go swimming or go play golf. or to, I don't even know what they're doing, but you know what I mean. And he seems to have captured that within that locker room and not just on the offensive side of the ball, but throughout the locker room on both sides of the ball. And, and, and that's, we'll find out. Now, the question is, you know, Jeff, Blake Shapin, you have the, uh, the blue chip quarterback in Kyron Jones, who mainly was a runner, has a great arm, uh, has the body, looks the part. Like he looks like the horse coming out of the stall where you go, oh. I mean, he's got all that. <laughs> but does he have the moxie between his ears? And does he have that it factor? Maybe a little bit of that. I think he still needs more seasoning. And so that's why the question is, they let Gary run. And Shapin can scramble and get away, but, you know, he got hurt. 
remember, he got hurt. So that's going to be, that's the biggest thing I would think out of everything is can they keep him upright? That doesn't mean they don't have confidence in Kyron or they can't manage the, the Anthony, the kid who transferred in from Law Tech. But that's that's a big deal now. That's a big question mark. And I would imagine another pretty big question mark, you have to look to the backfield, having to replace Tristan Ebner and Abram Smith, guys combined for almost 2,400 yards last season. Personnel-wise, who, who are we looking to fill that void? Are we confident we'll get that same level of production? Obviously, 2,400 yards can't just pluck that out of the sky, but who's who are we going to look to uh, to fill the void in the backfield? Different type offensive style, but same mentality. You remember, Jeff, back when Denver and Mike Shanahan had their run? And just plugging Davis. in running backs. <laughs> Terrell Davis was a Hall of Famer. He took them to the next level and helped Elway win a ring back-to-back years. But when he left, you know, eventually they had Clinton Portis, who's a great player. But they had Mike Anderson. They had the big banger. And then they had Quentin Griffin, who was at Oklahoma. Tiny, shifty, almost a Deuce Vaughn type. They went through a lot of different running backs. Guess what they kept doing? Running the football and running it well. Then he did it at Washington. Al, Alfred Morris, remember him in the RG3 rookie year who had the the monster year. And yes, they even also had Clinton Portis at one point who was a fantastic player. But they were able to run the ball, whether you have the dude, the alpha dog, or you have some guys that were used to like delivering milk. I'm serious. And I'm not saying that's going to work at Baylor, but I think this wide zone offense, Al, uh, Abram Smith was not only a hell of a running back, All-American candidate, Big 12-type choice, but he also was a linebacker, remember, the year before until that spring training a year ago. And uh, But he was in high school, a star player in high school. They have a couple. They have a star player who didn't play much last year, Jordan Jenkins, a kid from Lindale, banger. Tay McWilliams got kind of a little bit of both. Don't, didn't see a lot of him, banger. And what I mean by that, a guy that can move the chains. Then they have their, no one is Deuce Vaughn. God, I love Deuce Vaughn. My God, he's fun to watch. And he is a handful, like an electric eel. But they have a guy named Squirrel Williams who is is uh, always a very – had a great high school career. Okay, a lot of guys did. But he can't stay healthy. And it was like even when Rule was here, is Squirrel going to play? No, and, and he just never could get on the field. I don't know if you remember this game, but in 2020, they're two and seven, whatever their record at the time. They go to Iowa State, who, of course, was trying to win the Big 12 title. They're in Ames. They're not a very good team. They're not good at all on offense. Squirrel Williams was just roasting Iowa State's defense, a proud defense. He was having a game. They led at halftime. They were dictating that game against a team that was trying to win a conference title, and then he went down with an injury. But that was the glimpse of what he can do. And he is, even though he's a tiny, uh, diminutive, that word, whatever you want to say, he can run between the tackles. And I think that's going to be somebody, based on his health, which, again, is what have you done? If you're not available, you're not available. He has a chance to be somebody that really just jumps out at everybody in the running game because that offensive line is not only experienced, but they're deep and they run that offense. And I think you could stick you and my back there and probably we could pick up a couple of yards of carry. Hey, you might be right on that front, Smokey. And as I 
look up and down at the projected starters for this Baylor offensive line, I come away with very few, if any, concerns. This is a group that's going to be anchored by Connor Galvin at left tackle, a 6'7", 310-pound senior who's potentially going to be a first-day selection in the 2023 NFL draft. You've got starters coming back at the center and right guard positions with Jacob Gall and Grant Miller, respectively. Khalil Keith is penciled in at right tackle. This is a guy who's played a number of different positions along this Baylor offensive line in his time at Waco. I think his versatility obviously bodes well for him. I don't think you have any worry about him stepping in at that position. The guy being inserted into the lineup with little to no experience is Mose Jeffrey. But again, he's going to be running alongside the aforementioned Galvin at that left guard spot. So, You put it all together, I think this group is going to be perfectly fine in 2022, if not one of the best units in the Big 12. Will they ultimately help produce the best rushing attack in the conference as it did in 2021? No, but I think that's more of a testament to the type of backs that you had with Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner. We talked about the style of running that those guys brought to the table. It's sounding like Baylor's going to be a little bit more of a finesse attack this year with the aforementioned Blake Shapin with some of the skill positions stepping in at running back. I don't think that's a bad thing, though. I think Jeff Grimes has this offense poised to evolve, maybe is the best word here in year two under his direction as offensive coordinator. And honestly, I think that's a big reason why a lot of pundits are picking this team to be one of the two vying for a Big 12 championship that first weekend in December. Now, another reason why that's occurring is the Baylor defense. This is a group that was lights out in 2021, and be it not for a historically good defense coordinated by Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State, Baylor would have led the conference in a lot of metrics. It was second in the Big 12 in scoring defense last year, giving up just 18 points per game. It's a group, again, poised to have another solid season here in 2022. You've got all your starters back along the defensive line, but you are going to have some replacing to do, I guess, is the way to frame it at the second and third level of the defense. You look at some of the guys that Baylor lost in that department, linebacker Terrell Bernard, safety JT Woods, and also Jalen Petrie. Those are guys that are going to be pretty tough to to replace, but I I guess I want to bring it back to that comparison you offered up a few moments ago with the Mike Shanahan running attack at Denver. This is year three for Dave Aranda and a guy who has a, a proven track record of coordinating very respectable defenses. Have we gotten to a point where Baylor has recruited the type of depth and talent where they can really just start plugging guys in at those positions and not really see any kind of a drop off? They have so much back, that defensive front, as you know, Jeff, as you mentioned, when you have Siaka Ika, then you get the transfer Jackson player, who's a fantastic player at Tulsa, played high school ball here in Waco. TJ Franklin, Cole Maxwell, all Gabe Hall, uh, they have all those guys back. But a couple of names that maybe near the end of the year you started to see them make plays. I'll never forget. I, I can't remember the game. I, th- I think it was Oklahoma, but Bryson Jackson, who's like a 60-year player, we had him on during Big 12 media days. I mean, you want to talk about, you hear somebody talk, you're hearing Dave Aranda, like the process, the chopping wood, all the coaching cliches and all that. He was like the epitome of everything you'd want representing what is what seems to be what Baylor is as a football team. 
He and Garmin Randolph, who started making some plays, are a couple of young guys at that linebacker position. They get to transfer Josh White, hell of a player in high school out of Houston. He was at LSU. He decided to enter the transfer portal. He ends up playing for the guy that was at LSU when he was there and Dave Aranda, who recruited him, has a chance to be very, very good. Again, has had some issues with injuries. There was a player last year that may may have made one of the t- most, I, I don't want to say, I mean, we're talking about college here. I don't want to say bonehead. They're playing at Oklahoma State. They're playing Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State had kind of dictated that game. Baylor was creeping back in the game, had a chance to win the game, had a chance to get the ball back, and they had the momentum on offense in a tough-fought game. And Matt Jones, after a play near the sideline, did something out of character, got a personal foul. Oklahoma State got an automatic first down, ran the clock, game's over. And then Baylor didn't have enough time to do anything with it. He ended up, watch his name, very active. Um, he's really good, very talented. He kind of was in the doghouse and then kind of got out of it near the end of the year. I think Garmin Randolph, Bryson Jackson, Josh White, and Matt Jones will help surround Dylan Doyle, who's back and very, very solid in that linebacker position. One of the question marks, who's going to be Jalen Petrie? Who's going to be the guy that is like shot out of a gun from every single direction. You can't replace Petrie. You can't replace Bernard. But they do have some guys that I think are going to give them a little oomph that we didn't see much of last year. The secondary, um, boy, JT Woods was as good a ball hawk I've ever seen at the college football level. I, he was fantastic. They lose to Hada with 100 starts or whatever he had. It wasn't quite that much, obviously. But they have a kid, Al Walcott against Mississippi, ran back a pick 90-something yards for a touchdown. They've got uh, Christian Morgan, Mark Milton. They've got experience. The question is, who's going to be the captain of the defense? You'd think Doyle. Maybe Doyle. It, it, you know, defensive linemen usually aren't captains. You know, I mean, we understand Siaka Ika and all that. But who's going to step up on the backside of this Dave Aranda, Dave Roberts defense that gives you opportunities to make plays? Who's going to be that guy? Last year, if I said, who's the team captain on defense? J.T. Woods, Terrell Bernard, Jalen Petrie. You couldn't name one because they were all so dynamic. And that is one of the things that Baylor's going to have to find. And they feel like there's a little bit of that. You know, you hear about thatching grass. You got, you know, you, you mow your grass, you mow. Then every once in a while, you got to thatch it. That's kind of what Baylor's doing on the backside of their defense. They got some new growth. Guys that have been here, but a little bit of new growth. The question is, are they going to have the roots to be able to be who they have a chance to be based on how that defense plays. I hope that made sense. Judging by what you're saying, it sounds like the belief internally amongst the staff is that they have, in fact, recruited well enough over the previous couple of cycles to to fill those voids left by some of the guys we touched on a little bit earlier, Petrie, Bernard, and so forth. And I think it's really just going to be a question about deployment. Can those guys that are filling those spots come in and continue to perform at the level we've really just grown accustomed to seeing from a Dave Aranda coach defense. And just knowing again, historically how his units have performed, not just at Baylor, but at all of his, his stops as an assistant in the DC, I very much like the offensive line. I, I don't have major concerns along that front. And I think the fact that Baylor has all of that experience coming back on the defensive line really does bode well for some of the guys that are going to be stepping in for the first time in the back seven or eight, depending on alignment and personnel packages and so forth. That does bring me to one 
existential question, if you will, about Aranda. And I, I, I asked this looking back on year one and year two and the transformation that we saw where he came in in 2020, granted COVID season, lots of unique scenarios that obviously are unprecedented and hopefully we never have to deal with again. But he, he, he very much relied on, I, I believe, what he felt comfortable doing as, at that point, a guy who had been a defensive coordinator for life. He had been the Bud Foster, the Brent Venables, not anymore, obviously, but he, he just came in with that mindset of really wanting to to play to his defense, trusting that side of the ball more so than the offense. And I, I, I'm not sure what really shook his foundation in that sense, but he did seem very willing to to make this transformation, if you will, by bringing in Jeff Grimes to replace Larry Fedora as offensive coordinator. We see a much more aggressive style of offense as well in 2021. We saw Baylor go for fourth down 33 times. That was sixth most in the country last season. Whereas if you look back at any game that was played in 2020 and Baylor was looking at fourth and two on the opponent's 45-yard line, that was probably going to be a punt. So it, it was really refreshing to see a coach evolve like that because, again, that's one of those things where guys rely and are so ingrained in being stubborn and trusting their own experience, trusting their side of the ball that they've coached and mentored for however many years that they aren't willing to make a change. And I guess to, to that point, have you seen any kind of personal transformation or coaching transformation in Dave Aranda? Uh, X's and O's, he's the same guy. I mean, he's never afraid to, to look at other people and what they're doing. He spent a lot of time this year studying Georgia because he likes to know if you can put pressure on with four. Do you have to use five? Do you have the different angles of where you're coming from? Like, as a football coach, he's only better. Uh, he's, you know, even Dave Aranda can learn a little bit more. But as a head coach who he – there were times he, he's not very comfortable with that early on. He's never been one. Now, everyone wants to be an assistant coach, position coach, coordinator. I want to be a head coach. And then you are, and you're like, dang, this is a little bit different. Some flourish. And then you have some who are just really good coordinators. And after two and seven, you know, there were a lot of questions like, man, yeah, he's a heck of a defensive mind, but this team is just bad on offense. And, and so he fired Larry Fedora very quickly after the season was over. I mean, it was emphatic as well. And, you know, as nice a person, if there were more Dave Aranda's Jeff in this world, it'd be a better world type of thing. Um, but he's got this cold-blooded assassin. You know, he it doesn't mean he can't make a tough decision. You could be the most soulful, happy, nicest human being ever, right? And yet there are business decisions to make and other personal decisions to make. And Dave Aranda's got a little bit of that that's a he's an assassin when it comes to what he has to to fire a guy who was a veteran like Larry Fedora and move on immediately to uh, make the decision about Blake Shapen uh, over a guy that was very much like a massive part of how they built from two and seven to twelve and two. That takes it. That's an assassin. That doesn't mean it didn't hurt him. That doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. That doesn't mean he didn't toss and turn. But he wasn't afraid to make those decisions. And so that's the difference in him as a head coach. You know, first two and seven, 
every coach needed to be closer and around their players, right? Because of COVID, a lot of people never got a chance. Everything was like what you and I are doing right now on Zoom or however we do all this. So, sorry about that. So, I hope you can't hear all that. I got a couple of emails that just came through. Um, So, I apologize for that. But he wasn't around his players. And Dave Aranda's personality, his philosophy – it's not that any coach doesn't want to be around his players practice and all that, but he's got that Jedi type mindset with his players. Not all of them probably understood who he was. In fact, a lot of them had to get to know who he was. They probably like, who the hell is this guy? And we're two and seven. But then you got to see when he was around Jeff, his players, his program every day. And I'm not talking er during the season, but the entire off season, he didn't have one. Think about all the new income. How about think about and Chris Kleiman said this to us last year, last year at Big 12 Media Days, how difficult it must have been for an incoming coach to take over in 2020 without any basic, any offseason, spring drills, offseason, anything. And I think Dave Aranda learned a lot from that. And I think that's where he will always be that guy that has that unique perspective with everybody. What turns you on or me on or someone else on. But as a football coach, don't ever underestimate. He will absolutely slice you when he needs to, when it comes to not being cold-blooded, but making a decision. You certainly hope Dave Aranda built up a fair amount of equity after pulling off a, a truly miraculous feat in any era of college football. And, and frankly, it's something that I don't think has been talked about nearly as much as it, it should be. You don't see 10-game swings. You just don't. You don't see a team going from two and seven as Baylor was in 2020 to 12 and two, and winning a Big 12 championship and winning the Sugar Bowl as Baylor did in 2021. All the credit in the world to Dave and Randa for accomplishing something truly unprecedented, and, and dare I say, we'll we will never see that again at the power conference level. At least I would be very surprised if we did. Now, is another 12 win campaign on? the table for Baylor here in 2022 I tend to lean towards no just glancing at the schedule I, I think Baylor had some favorable bounces last season Baylor also had a pretty favorable road home split looking ahead to this schedule you have to go on the road to BYU week two of the season your first conference game out of the shoot is a road trip to Ames you've got a tricky Thursday night game against West Virginia road trips to Oklahoma, to Texas. Yes, you're probably happy that you're getting swing games like K-State, Oklahoma State, and TCU in Waco, but the home road split for Baylor this year, not necessarily in the favor of the Bears. That being said, I, I can't discount the possibility that Baylor could win eight or maybe even nine games and still very much be in the conversation to make it back to Arlington and potentially repeat as Big 12 champions. And Dave, I'll, I'll put it to you. What what does Baylor have to do to defend their Big 12 championship? You have to win about three to four games every year that are field goals or less or last minute. You make plays on either side of the ball to seal a victory. They did that last year. Now, the TCU game, they had a chance late in the game. Bohannon threw a bad pick. They had the momentum. They were moving downfield. Looked like they were going to come back. And a game in which their defense was absolutely embarrassed by Chandler Morris, who nobody had ever really seen play. And then Oklahoma State was just a knockdown, drag-out, tough football game, throwback. 
in Stillwater. But they won uh, came when they came back in the second half to, 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 to nuke Texas. They absolutely jumped into Oklahoma's grill e easily. They It was a shootout-type mentality against Brigham Young, but being the game at home, that probably did help. You're right. At Brigham Young, week two, when they may have some questions, and so will Brigham Young. Iowa State, Baylor games have been, my goodness, I mean, even like I said, the two and seven Baylor team had to fight scratch and claw to, and Iowa State had to fight scratch and claw to win that game. At West Virginia, Jeff, that's a Thursday night on Halloween, I think. Is that right? Is that how? No, maybe not Halloween. The Thursday night game, do you realize what it's going to be like in Morgantown? Thursday night, tomorrow night, or in October, it's going to be nuts. <laughs> I mean, nuts. Texas Tech Baylor's become a Really kind of an intense rivalry. Joey McGuire is there. Uh, they're never, that's a crazy crowd to play in. That's my, that's my issue. I don't see any way, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And if I am, then my goodness, that they, like last year I said, they just need to get to a bowl game. This year, the expectations and standards are way up here. It's easier to get there than stay there. I see some minefields throughout this, but the great thing is if their defense, which it looks like it's going to be that the entire staple of this program, if their defense continues to be at this level, and I think they'll be good, they can win anywhere. Because as you hear that old cliche again, defense travels. It does. So does a great offense too, but a defense can travel because the crowd and the, and the but at Iowa state at West Virginia, Thursday night, in Lubbock against Texas Tech. And for whatever reason, you know, Texas Tech, Baylor's had them. They've not owned them, but they've really kind of dictated all of that in recent years. Um, Tech won a couple of years ago in like a last-second field goal when Baylor had dominated the game, but they just couldn't seal it. Both teams weren't very good. At Oklahoma, who are they? They close out in what could be, who knows, with the future of college football the last time they ever played Texas, although I think there's still going to be another year of that, but who knows? TCU and Baylor, no matter where they play, that's been TCU. TCU's just had this oomph over Baylor because of the Gary Patterson and Art Browse rivalry. It just, it just, he's gone now. But they, you know, they beat Baylor last year. They had no right to, and they did. I, I think, I think there's a lot, I mean, those games, if you flip the script and you had to play at Kansas, at Kansas State, I think, you know, Coach Kleiman, they got a hell of a team back. I really did. At TCU, at Oklahoma State, I would flip that for what they have this year with all due respect to playing in Manhattan and Stillwater because we know how good they are. Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Texas on the road will be very difficult. The question is, did Matt Campbell have all these guys for this long time? Now they're sustained. They, they're they're consistent. Matt Campbell had that team loaded for Bear last year, and it just didn't work out in the end. Um, will there be a slight drop? West Virginia, Neil Brown with a quarterback and JT Daniels, and also Graham Harrell. That's early in the year. Um, I they have to be better. Texas Tech is a team that went to a bowl game, and I hear a lot of people kind of sleeping on them, you know, young coach and Joey McGuire and all that. At the same time, they were a bowl team last year. They've got like three quarterbacks that could start right now for them. Oklahoma remains to be seen, but it's Oklahoma. Texas Tech is always a team that gets a lot of hype, and they do again. They win the offseason every year, but who are they? I, I think 
I know Baylor fans aren't going to want to hear this. I think if you can get to eight or nine wins, it would be disappointing because of who they are and who they were last year and the expectations. But eight or nine wins, I think, would be a really nice way to follow up, even though that would be a disappointment, I would think, for the Baylor fan base. That also goes to show how far along this program is in its development under Dave Aranda that here in year three, we're talking about eight and four or nine and three potentially being perceived by some fans as a disappointing season. While coming off of 12 and two, I could certainly see how that might irk some fans to take a set, a step back. But I think you need to project out and think about the big 12 landscape post Oklahoma and Texas departing for the sec if I'm willing to do that and see the forest for the trees, I would be exceedingly excited as a Baylor fan, just knowing what the staff has already shown the ability to do competing against those blue blood programs and knowing that Baylor has also probably one of the highest recruiting ceilings of any holdover Big 12 program. I think you become very excited about the prospect of being a perennial Big 12 title contender when the new schools come into the conference here in a couple of years. That's just me. And again, I think Baylor is still in store for a fine season where they could absolutely find themselves in contention for a Big 12 championship. Yet again, it will be very fun to watch this year. I think we're in store for some very entertaining football, not just in watching Baylor, but I think across the landscape of the Big 12. It's going to be a very tightly contested conference race. Thank you, Smokey, very much for your insight on the Baylor Bears. Greatly appreciate you taking some time to come onto the podcast. That being said, I'll give you a few moments here to go ahead and plug your guys' show and Sikkim 365. And also, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Well, we uh, we have grown immensely in just over two years. We are on YouTube, 365 Sports on YouTube. It is the same show. It's basically what we do online, which is Sikkim 365 Radio. Uh, it's online. The app is being rebuilt right now because of our growth kind of caught it off guard. So the app is right now being rebuilt, hopefully be ready by sometime in August, we hope. Uh, and, and But online, you can find us. And then uh, on Twitter, at David Smoke, D-A-V-I-D-S-M-O-A-K. But the thing right now where we are surging is the YouTube channel, 365 Sports, which has kind of become coast to coast. Basically, the core, of course, is Big 12. But this all this craziness in college football has brought fan bases from all over the place because everyone's trying to figure out, okay, who, what's next for us? But I appreciate you letting me put that in there. Thanks again to David Smoke for coming on the College and Kimball podcast to offer up his insight on the 2022 iteration of the Baylor Bears. It's certainly sounding like Dave Aranda is going to have another strong squad for the upcoming season. If you want to hear more from Smokey and the 365 crew, I would encourage you again to subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's 365 Sports. They put out content each and every day. They're great advocates for the Big 12 Conference. They'll help scratch that itch that you might have in the couple days leading up to the start of the 2022 season. So again, 
Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't had a chance to already, 365 Sports. All that being said, that is going to wrap it up for this first installment of the Know Your Enemy preview collection. Again, I'm going to be previewing all of the Big 12 teams ahead of the 2022 season. We'll be bringing another episode to you here over the next couple of days. If you haven't had a chance to already, again, follow us on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. We really appreciate the follow Please engage with us on social media. We're really looking forward to interacting with the fans more this coming season. With all that being said, we're going to conclude it the way that we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. If you